0: Welcome to episode number 165 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and this is going to be such an interesting show today. I'm talking with John Maeda, who is a design legend. I don't want to embarrass him by saying that, but he's a design legend, and is his his formal title is design partner of the venerable. Venerable venture capital firm Kleiner, Caulfield. Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield and Byers. I got it right. Finally. And we're going to talk about design. And he just released a report called Design in Tech 2016. John Maida, how are you?
1: Very good. Glad to be here, Michael.
0: John, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, just to start very briefly, tell us about your background, just to set some context.
1: Well, I was at MIT for 12 years as a professor at the MIT Media Laboratory, and was president of the Rhode Island School of Design for six years, and I've been in Silicon Valley for the last two and a half years, and I've been learning lots of stuff.
0: So you have a, a very broad background, uh, very steeped in both traditional design as well as academia, as well as technology. Maybe summarize for us your perspective on design and what led you to create the Design in Tech report, and maybe tell us about that report as well.
1: Well, I have lived deep in the MIT computer science world. That's where my training began. Um, I loved computers as a kid. I was a typical nerd. Um, I had computers since I was a kid in the 70s. Um, went to art school, discovered art school and the happiness of art school, which, is, uh, which at the time was very non-computery. Uh, began working with a lot of businesses, a lot of corporations, consulting for them while I was a professor at MIT. And by running an entire art college, I began to see how art and design have existed and are trying to move forward in the venture capital industry. I've been able to see how design can have a material advantage in a startup's evolution. So we had asking, how do we help everyone see the material value that design is having in the financial space, in the investment space? We had asked how to do that. And luckily, Mary Meeker, who was at Kleiner Perkins, published a wonderful report every year. And I thought, maybe maybe I can uh, borrow that playbook and make a report to talk about design and tech.
0: So Mary Meeker's report, of course, is the definitive in in some ways report on internet trends. It's it's, um, an incredible thing that she does every year. So your point of view then is how design makes, can create a, can create a financial, material advantage in terms of finances, economically?
1: Well, and, well you know, in, in the most crass terms, people think that creativity has no value. Uh, I remember uh, when I was a kid, my, uh, my, my dad heard I was good at math and art and told a friend I was good at math, and art was never important. So I've been always looking for how do you see the value of the creative side? And so by looking at all of the uh, startups that have been doing well on the fundraise side, these startups that are being acquired by other companies, sometimes IPOing, uh, looking at the companies that are like Deloitte, McKinsey, acquiring design companies for real prices, it shows that design creativity has material value to business. That's what excites me.
0: So your, so your interest is in the applied aspect of design and the role of design in the economic system and in technology in particular.
1: Well, um, I, I like how you frame that because design is always applied. It's always in the service of industry. However, there are branches of design that focus on social good, which are about the nonprofit space. So there's non-profity design, but there's also for-profit design. I want to put a spotlight on for-profit design because by understanding it, you can see that if I'm a CEO, um, you mean if I get closer to design, my company can do better, um, and it costs X, I'll have to invest in that capability. I want that attitude to become more common. But it turns out it already is. The report proves that.
0: So what are some of the dimensions in which art can make a tangible contribution to the economic value of a business
1: a simple example without people people can just say the word apple in their sleep uh, but other companies like tesla companies like nest uh, and the report recently has revealed that even google is seen as a design company because its products feel a lot better than they did 10 years ago
0: One of the things you talk about in the report that I think is so fascinating is you describe that historically we interacted with software maybe a few times at a few points throughout the day. Today we interact with software on our devices, our mobile devices, pretty much continuously throughout the day. And so, as you call it in the report, the ouch moments of interacting with software, the pain points historically, it's no longer acceptable today. Maybe elaborate on that because I thought it's such a great description of the, the paradigm shift that's taken place.
1: Well, one thing I learned by being in the venture capital ecosystem is this phrasing of consumer versus enterprise. And when you think about it like fifteen as 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 soon as maybe ten years ago, there really was only enterprise computing. Computing was to something you do at work, not something in your daily life. So consumer computing is brand new Uh, and because consumer computing means that anyone uses the computer, not just the Tony Stark sort of MIT trained people, Uh, uh, like Kim Kardashian's got her mobile open, you know, and she she wants to stay connected. She can't write code. In the old days, we'd write code to use computers, but now every, every person wants to use the computer. It has to be usable, but it also has to be pleasurable. Because we use it all the time. In the old days, we tolerate bad. In the new days, no one will tolerate bad. That's why design
0: is important. So, what does that do to the, the, the role of design? And what does that do to designers and, and what designers need to learn and understand?
1: Well, that's the thing I've been trying to crack away at um, ever since the first report came out. Uh, which I thought would get like 50,000 views, but now has close to a million views. So clearly people were interested in it. So in this report, I knew I had a chance to get people's attention to understand one thing, which was that the word designer means a lot of things. You can have someone who is an interior designer, someone who is a graphic designer. You can have a design thinker from Stanford. You can have a computational designer out of Carnegie Mellon. And so we have to be more clear on what we mean by designers having material impact in the tech ecosystem. It's not all the designers out there. It's just a few of them right now.
0: And so what what does this mean again for for the role of designers? How how what about the the training? You're an educator. So what about the, the training of the designers? And what about the relationship that companies and organizations have to design all of this, in a sense, is undergoing a, a very massive change, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's, uh, well, it's been going a, through a massive change for a long time. I remember at MIT, when I was in research, I remember that around the year 2000 was the turning point, because at MIT, we had all the computers. Um, no one else had computers. We had the best computers. People would come to lab to use our computers. But around the year 2000, computers were fast enough that the freshmen were buying that they wouldn't come to lab anymore because they had better computers in the research labs. And so I think computing has been outpacing what the education ecosystem can keep up with for well over a decade. And so part of my, the reason I'm leaving academia, to give up being an educator, to live in the startup ecosystem, uh, has been to get closer to the world of business and how creativity becomes a material advantage in this whole shebang.
0: How did you, how did you get to the point or what was the evolution that brought you to the point of recognizing or, or placing the, um, the economic contribution of design so highly prioritizing it so highly because, when most people think about design, they're not thinking about the economic aspects.
1: Well, um, it, was the, it, was the, it was roughly after the year 2000 where um, I began being newspapers with financial terms um, by being in research. The wonderful world of research, mind you, is a wonderful place. Um, so I did my MBA as a hobby, part-time. To learn how to read <laughs> the Wall Street Journal, um, I began very curious about oh, this is how the world works. I have to get more into it. Uh, being uh, able to run a college, run a large not for profit, I got to see the world even differently. And so now in Silicon Valley, seeing these small companies grow, from end ups, end ups are companies that have ended up successful. Um, I have huge respect for what is happening. By taking creativity, adding capital, fostering its growth, and this miracle happens. Um, I, I, I love being close to it.
0: We hear about, uh, or you talk about classical design. In your report, you talk about classical design, design thinking, and then I forget exactly the phrase, but computational design. Exactly. And so, Maybe can you break, the, break those down? What, what are those three things, and, and why are they so relevant and so important in this discussion?
1: Right. Well, the reason why the financial part, the money part, what I call DE dollar sign design, DE dollar sign IGN, uh, has caught my attention is because most of what is done in the pure creative sphere is anti-capitalistic. It's supposed to have a higher purpose, um, and it's a wonderful thing that exists. Yet I see the economy, I see industry craving for a different kind of designer that can propel industry forward. Um, and I could see that I had to focus on the kind of designers that can make that impact the most. The classical designers are the designers trained in the old way, the way of the physical world on print All of the most beautifully thought design for centuries has lived in this space. Um, This design skill cannot immediately be applied to making a user experience improve. It's related, but there's a distance. The people who have crossed this divide are people who left school, worked in technology, and are all generally self-taught. These are people I've been able to meet at Twitter, Facebook, Flipboard—you name it—they're all people who are self-taught, learn the way for computation, coding, and also user research, working with millions of people, could create a different kind of design. That's computational design. And then there's design thinking. Design thinking is being led by business schools, by Harvard Business Review, by the whole business schools, the business book sector. It's the idea that your company doesn't move fast enough. And if you can think more creatively, think like a designer, your company can innovate better. So three kinds of design, and design thinking, and computational design, are going to have the biggest impact right now on the economic success of countries today.
0: When we talk about, you're, you're defining design, or talking about design in, in a very different way than I think many people, the narrow way that many people think about it, which is really graphics or painting what have you. And so, so when you talk about design, what actually is the scope of design that you are referring to? What is design in this context and your way of looking?
1: Well, I'm glad I'm on CXO talk because X is about experience. And how do you create an experience? You have to design it. And designers create experiences. They make create experiences on a 2D plane, They may create it in a 3D environment. They may create it inside AR or VR. They may create it as a drone flying around us and asking us how that feels, how it works. They make experience. Um, That's what they do. But the experience has changed from designing glasses to designing mobile experiences. And that design gap is quite large because these design experiences have millions of users. This might have a thousand users. In this case, the glasses can be finished. I get to finish this. People who make these apps never get to be finished. So there's fundamental differences between the old design, classical, and the new design, computational.
0: But the uh, but when you talk about design thinking, you're talking about designing companies. So again, I come back to the to the same question of the the common thread of design going across classical design thinking and computational design because the output the result of these three things are are completely different one to the next
1: well actually thank you for and I'm, i'm glad you're using the terminology with me because i'm still i'm still a baby at it Like it was a couple days before the design and tech report, I had that aha, like, oh, there's three kinds of design, okay. So you've got the physical design, you've got the computational design, and the design thinking design is all about organization agility, rediscovering innovation over execution. Now then you ask, so what what is the thread that goes across them all? What goes across them all is that all three types of design have sketching involved in it sketching means testing iterating figuring out the idea in a different medium for instance in the case of eyeglasses people will design different versions of this in paper or draw it it won't be they won't make the final thing they'll try to figure it out in the case of computation they'll write code they'll run a few tests with the users they're just sort of figuring it out they don't know it in the case of design thinking they'll take post-it notes and use a whiteboard and think about ideas and move them around as if they're sketching with the organization, the people's roles. So it's all about the ability to sketch, not just draw, mind you. The ability to ideate very quickly.
0: So, again, um, um, I keep coming. I keep coming back to this point in order to more fully understand this perspective that when you are talking, you were talking about design thinking, which is about organizational agility and innovation, and you're talking about sketching that out, but still, it's so far distant from classical design, which is what we, just, what we laymen, people like myself, tend to think of when we think about, about design.
1: And, and for that reason, I'm glad you brought that up. For that reason, uh, Paola Antonelli, the, the senior curator at MoMA, uh, recently said that people who use Post-it notes really aren't designers. And it, went very, it was very popular. Uh, but I want to note that people who do design thinking may not be classical designers. They may not be computational designers. But they're a kind of designer that can think in the medium of organizations and ideas and people and to me as someone who practices both the classical and the computational I have to say I totally get that it's a kind of design um, but it's not going to get you into the permanent collection of MoMA it's not going to let you make a new Facebook per se but it's going to help your team your, your your units the whole company get a little more malleable by virtue of sketching ideas, testing them, working them out together uh, through non-rigid medium. In this case, post-it notes, whiteboards, clips of paper, doesn't matter. It lets you become fluid the way the designers think before they
0: execute. So is design then... You're, 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 John, you're, you're stretching my mind here. So is design then a... a Less a function of the output or the medium, and rather a function of the kind of act of ideation uh, that's taking place.
1: How do- I, I will tell you that if you said that, and if, if one of my dear uh, friends at RISD, Kinaleski, she's a professor of architecture, were to hear you say that she'd be, she'd be in literal like tears or like cheering for you because the whole idea behind design at the most sophisticated level is process. It's a process of approaching a problem. It's medium agnostic at its highest level. So you, Michael, have described design at the highest level. If you come to it, ah, this is good. Experience, a great experience is made by having the plastic processes, plastic meaning malleable processes, to iterate, to test ideas, before you actually execute. What is it the famous phrase by Frank Lloyd Wright? It's better to put a pencil to paper than to have a sledgehammer at the construction site.
0: So you talk about the role of empathy, and that permeates this. So before we drill down into, well, maybe just... uh, Talk about empathy. Tell us about empathy. Why does that matter in the, in all of this?
1: Oh, um, well, this is this is a very, very 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 revealing and embarrassing to how little I know. On some days, um, is when Joe Gebbia, uh, one of the co-founders of Airbnb, also a graduate of the school that I led, RISD, uh, would come to campus and talk about how important it is to uh, talk about design as empathy, especially in Silicon Valley. And I totally didn't know what he was talking about. Because to me, that's kind of obvious that you have to care about what the customer feels about, you know. But if you think about the word empathy in the world of pure software engineers, you have to remember that empathy isn't part of the goal. The goal is to execute on durable code, testable code, code that won't fall down. You look at bridge maker, like a person who designs a bridge wants to make sure, number one, it doesn't fall down. So engineers in Silicon Valley do the right work, the important job of making it so it won't break, making it so it will scale and won't break. But while they're busy doing that, they need to think about the person who's going to cross the bridge. And designers in Silicon Valley have been bringing in the viewpoint, which is obvious to everyone, but not to people who shouldn't turn into the hard work to make the bridge stand, that we have to ask the question about how does the person who's crossing the bridge feel? Empathy. So empathy is what designers bring to the table all the time. They ask how do how does that make you feel, and how can I make you feel better? How do I improve the experience?
0: So when you so when we talk about uh, empathy, really it, you're you're describing the designer's ability to put themselves in the place of the customer, and I say customer, could be the, uh, the consumer of the design product, whatever that might be. Put, put, the, put yourself in their place, and therefore create, design, plan from that perspective.
1: And, you know, um, at the base level, um, if, if you're not even there, if you're, if you're, if you're true Star Trek Vulcan, you know, but if you're Spock, you're kind of half human, you kind of get people have feelings and you can cover some of the experience. But like, for instance, just now, my iMessage just went off. So someone just sent me an iMessage on my, I turned off the, my phone ringers, but the, the Mac itself just went off just now because it was too hard to plan for empathy for a chance where I'd be talking live with Michael on the on the thing. So empathy is important. But there are cases we will miss, so I want to add that in. Designers don't make perfect things because all situations are never purely general and don't go awry in some cases.
0: But in general, when you talk about experience, so if we, so we, so to be a successful designer, then one must bring together. Based on, as I understand what you're saying, bring together the qualities of empathy with the ability to create a meaningful experience that's appropriate for for the context.
1: Well, um, and again, it's because when you make something, you might just make it so it works. Um, That's what engineering teaches you. At MIT, I was an engineer. That's what we do. We make the thing that works. Does it work? Yes. Yay. Um, A designer asks on top of that, does it work? And do I know how to use it? Does it work? And do I really want to take it home with me? Does it work? I want to use it every day because I just love using it so much. That's more of a design thought. But I want to note, even the design and tech report from last year, design is not that important. Engineering is important in relationship to design. And the if there's no business model, that can make that product affordable, doesn't matter either, good engineering, good design. So good business, good engineering, good design, these three are important together, they make great products, but not in in isolation.
0: Engineering, design, and the business model, It's it's so interesting to hear you as a designer Uh, It's so interesting to hear you bringing these three things together. So you are placing design on equal footing with business, the business model, and the engineering of the product itself.
1: It's synergistic. It depends on the product too. Like if I'm making like a Mars rover, I think think the engineering matters a lot. (laughs) You know, if if I've got a person on there, an astronaut like Matt Damon, maybe a little bit of design, make it a little bit comfortable. But if we're trying to sell it to NASA, you know, we've got to like, you know, keep it tolerable and cost wise. And so they're all, there are three things that pull at each other. Um, uh, But at the base level, the engineering has to work. Design can't solve a bad engineering
0: um, solution. And then what about this notion of culture? And, leadership, and you know, we're having this conversation about design, but it's, it's so broad. So, so, you talk about culture and you talk about leadership yeah. in relation to design yeah. as well.
1: Well, it's because the thing I've learned about startups is that you're not designing a product. You're designing a team that can build a product. The thing I've learned about even companies, large companies, you aren't designing products. You're designing companies that can make great products in perpetuity. And so in that case, uh, in the same way that engineering teams have scaled well in Silicon Valley, what I noticed is that design teams haven't scaled that well. And so a lot of conversations I've had for the last two and a half years are with design leaders working in the high-tech industry who would tell me the challenges they had as designers, which I know very well from my transition to being the president of a college. I wrote a book called "Redesigning Leadership." to explain my own frustration with how do you become a leader if you're a maker, hands-on maker. So hands-on makers have a hard time becoming leaders. And so in the report, I feature what two characteristics of a company can a design leader make a difference in, and they are in culture and in systems.
0: And so what is the relationship of a design leader to, to creating that culture as you describe it?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, in the case of designing a culture, you know, some of the startups I work with in the Kleiner Perkins world, you know, I I, I just get so excited when I hear new ways that people do this. For instance, the head of design at Mob Crush, one of the co-founders as a designer, interviews every new uh, prospective employee, whether they're an engineer or they're a finance person, it's because he's the head of culture. His job is to ensure that the entire company's culture has a design spirit in them. People make a difference that way. There are some designers like uh, Matias Duarte of Google, who led the creation of Android's material language. Because the Android ecosystem was highly fragmented. Every Android app was different. But when the team at Google made this language specification for how an app should behave in Android, and people adopted it, suddenly people using App One could use app two. It was designed at the system level. A huge impact.
0: Our, so I'm assuming then that you also must advocate and help uh, help people reach the point where inside companies, uh, the the teams, the engineering team, the design team, the business team, are functioning to get functioning together as a more tightly integrated unit. Because if these are three of the if these are the three. Key components, then they need to be working together as you, as you described.
1: And they all speak different languages, but they all have one goal, which is quality. So, a lot of what I do, because of the strange accident where I, I'm an MIT trained engineer, I can talk engineering. I have the sort of like art world, art school, et cetera, design thing, so I can talk to designers. I work with executives on boards. I can talk to executives the same way, business people. So I try to be a translator, a bridge between the three uh, groups so they can see each other's quality.
0: We have a question from Twitter from Colin Crook, who asks, do you have any thoughts on IBM? And I'm, I'm reading from the Twitter stream. Any thoughts on how IBM is influencing or has influenced uh, design?
1: Oh, hey, Colin. I wonder if you're an IBM. <laughs> but uh, I did, we did feature IBM and the report. Um, I've gotten a chance to, to watch IBM's grand effort to, uh, really become a more design oriented company, but also knowing that the, IBM was always design oriented back in the sixties. Uh, uh, IBM was the center of, uh, designers like Paul Rand, Charles Eames, um, and, um, at the same time, GM, also in the 50s, had the great Aero Saarinen. And so there was a time in the, uh, in the mid-1900s, a little post-mid, where design was a key asset in large corporations. It kind of went away. So what IBM has done is IBM has resurrected the DNA of IBM's design. I like to think of it as like Han Solo taking out of cryo And they brought back that old design sensibility, and they fused it with modern UX training. Of modern design thinking to be able to grow. What they intend to do is to grow a one thousand one thousand new designers in IBM for the services industry. Um, that's quite ambitious.
0: And you have uh, lately a number of large services providers, McKinsey, um, others. You have software companies like Infor developing either buying or developing SAP, dev- buying or developing very strong design components inside their organizations. This is also relatively new over the last few years.
1: Well, you know, you can see that it's been happening for a long time. I think Monitor Group was the first to acquire a design company, Monitor later acquired by Deloitte. Um, Consulting companies to grow their portfolio of services have recognized that design is something that clients want because going back to the second page of the report, And so to what you espouse yourself, Michael, is experience is becoming the key factor for customer satisfaction. So as the Fortune 100-500 wants to bring experience into their company, they're not sure where to go. Uh, Can they go to design firms? Well, what if it turns out that KPMG or Ernst Young already have design as part of their offering? So it's like one-stop shopping, which is an, an amazing point, point in history because it means that maybe you are a Fortune 100 company without a CDO like Johnny Ive, but maybe McKinsey is when you, uh, you hired McKinsey. Through McKinsey, you can bring in design as well. So it's a whole new world. So design is going to be everywhere in companies, um, actually right now and in the future.
0: When a company like uh, McKinsey... Buys or 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 builds itself a design department. What are some of the uh, the considerations that they have to think about? Because don't they run the risk of now uh, stratifying the company into, in a sense, internally from an innovation standpoint, the haves and the have-nots? We have one group that's right. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh sure, well, well. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I've been forced to uh, to have an intimate view into McKinsey, thanks to thanks to Hugo Sarrazin and McKinsey, who helped me see that when they acquired Lunar, it wasn't as if they weren't doing design before. McKinsey already was doing design, rapid prototyping inside McKinsey before. And Hugo's background is a Stanford-trained roboticist with some D school action uh, when he was younger. So uh, he so there are authentic. McKinsey DNA InDesign that already grew, and it was scaled with a lunar acquisition. and uh, Or, for instance, Accenture acquiring Fjord. I met one of the co-founders of London just last year. And when you hear how they were acquired when they were roughly a 100-plus uh, uh, employees, and now they've grown to 200-plus employees as, as Fjord inside Accenture, you can hear that growth... Uh, you would think that when the consulting company acquires a design firm, it might lose all the employees. But the data is showing that maybe they are able to not just retain them, but increase them. But of course, it will depend. It'll be a shakeout in the next few years to see what happens into these companies.
0: And what about the dimension of the of the company taking the design culture that exists inside this acquisition and diffusing it, trying to diffuse it throughout their own Broader organization?
1: Yeah, oh, that's a great question. Um, well, that's a question of how these companies lead the integration of design. Um, and that is why, with urgency, um, I wanted to put the spotlight on the fact that there are three kinds of design. <laughs> because uh, if performed incorrectly, people will bunch together the design thinkers, the computational designers and the traditional designers, but they're all different. And so the only way to create a design culture is to know that there are three kinds of design cultures uh, and they, and they have to be treated differently.
0: So inside, so inside a company that is adopting design as a strong cultural attribute, what recommendations do you have to ensure that that design uh, fulfills its potential, let me just put it that way.
1: I have a very simple uh, recommendation, it's in the report, it requires the CEO to really care about design, not just as a a buzzword, but to understand there are three kinds of design, and to understand the three kinds of designers in their company. It requires executive team to understand that design is not about just pretty things, like a, a good looking shirt but that it had there are business design thinkers that can make their company more agile there are computational designers that are working at a whole different scale and reliability in large user bases um, and yes there are the traditional designers who design amazing quality experiences in print in the old way but there are three kinds of designers and they have to be able to talk to them differently
0: I would think that this presents um, quite a significant challenge to many of these companies. Uh, You're laughing, so yeah, please go
1: ahead. ahead. uh, It just means it's hard. Um, What is it, um, I'll never forget uh, when I had just joined the faculty at MIT in 1996, the dean of uh, the, the school, amazing man named William J. Mitchell, he passed away unfortunately, but an amazing visionary man, after my first two years. So, I'm working with industry corporations. I'm working with the other research faculty. I'm working with the students. I was going crazy. I was like, How do you do all this? You know, Dean Mitchell, how do you do this? He looked at me sternly and said, Suck it up, John. Just suck it up. So, what I'm saying is that it's hard because it's interesting and it's important. So, if you want to master design, You're not going to be able to just snap your fingers and figure out. There's three kinds of design, they're different. Um, Just figure them out.
0: We have only uh, less than 10 minutes left. So, would you cycle through and give us advice? And maybe let's start first with advice to. Uh, we've been talking with about, talking about large companies. So, what's your advice regarding design to large organizations?
1: Oh, um, uh, it is not a. I don't believe in silver bullets. I call them silver rays. It's to point them in the right direction. So, I would say a great civil ray is to bring. Um, design expertise uh, into the boardroom, into the executive team meetings, um, but not to review design, not to have opinion design, not to ask, like, is this pretty or cool or whatever, but to ask, how can design thinking be used in our company better? How can you help our culture innovate better? Um, that's the number one thing I would ask large companies to do more of. Um, and if you're a modern digital company – you're already killing it on the computational design. So get the fact that that kind of design is different from design as it's practiced in the communication department. There are two different kinds of designs. There's product design, digital digital product design, and communication design, which is also digital too, but they're different things.
0: So before we go on to the next uh, request for advice, we have another question from Twitter from Natalie Hansen, who I happen to know is an an and ethnographer, I believe. And she asks, what about experience design and service design? How do they fit into your three, three-tier model?
1: Good. Uh, well, thank you, Natalie. Um, someone also asked me about social design. Um, and, we, and we know that there are just so many kinds of design. Um, I would put uh, experience design and service design into computational design. I would put service design also into design thinking. Um, there is overlap there. Um, and you might wonder why I chose these three. It's because I know there's 15 of them. Um, <laughs> these, these three will work for now.
0: Okay. Moving onward, what is your advice for small companies, say, say startups, in terms from a design perspective?
1: Yeah, um, I would say that what's really important, uh, you know, I, I, you know, one one of the one of my, uh, I, I I I don't like to sort of claim victory or get too happy because you get a little bit dumb. Um, uh, what is it? Laurels are okay, but rest isn't. But uh, one of the senior partners, like Connor Perkins, just after the Design and Tech report came out, was saying to me how he had just reviewed uh, a startup team uh, and for for an investment and noticed that. Uh, it was all engineers as co-founders. And he told them that they had to come back with a designer on the founding team because their experience wasn't very good. But he also added that sometimes they'll have maybe two engineers pitch and the design is good. So I want to note that some engineers can design well. But if they can't design well, they need a designer in the founding team. So if you're a startup, if you're consumer-oriented and you're company, Competition has a good experience. If you don't have a designer at the beginning of your startup, you won't build a design culture. It'll be harder to hire them later. So start early.
0: You know, I would, I would, as somebody who uh, has been focusing on enterprise software for many years, I would absolutely say not just for consumer startups, but going back to the to the graph you have of uh, the touch points. In the old days, we had touch points a few times during the day. Now it's all day long. For enterprise software as well, if you don't have great experience, you're screwed.
1: Well, a great example of that is Slack and how Slack was able to exploit the fact that people were used to having a higher quality of software for Facebook, consumer, et cetera. So now they go to work and their software is no good. So to your point, enterprise software has had to improve because of this pressure.
0: What about advice for designers, for either younger designers who are in school or older established designers who are facing a very different world than the one in which they graduated from school years ago?
1: Uh, For the students still in school, I highly recommend internship programs. One thing that KPCB has is the KPCB Fellows Program. They come for the summer, they work at a startup. They learn what they can't learn in school. For those people who are older, let's say myself included, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm on that 50 sort of class, um, I feel lucky that I've been able to break out of my life as it was and work in Silicon Valley and learn and hang out with younger people and also people my same age and older, learning what they know that I didn't know about tech. So I urge people who are out of it, get close, make friends, uh, carry coffee. I'll carry coffee sometimes. <laughs> also, hey, you want some coffee? I want to learn. Um, open up. Uh, open yourself up.
0: And you know, I feel like we're we're going through these questions so rapid fire, but we're really kind of run out of time. I wish we had another couple of hours to talk. You have sent out a. You've started sending out a newsletter called Asian Identity Tell us yeah. about that.
1: Oh well, that. Well, I've I long believed that inclusive thinking leads to a better, more um, generative, creative outcome. And if you bring people who are different, if you're hanging out, like for at RISD, I would have events and they would have a lot of women because 70% of the students are women. So I would ask, well, let's bring in some men. Uh, in Silicon Valley, I would see events that are mainly men. And I would ask, well, let's bring in some women. Let's balance it out to the real world. Um, or if people of color are not represented. People of different genders are not represented. Um, if you don't consciously build an interesting core of people, um, the outcome is less creative. So Asian AsianIdentity.tech was an attempt to ask the question, uh, what can I do with my Asian identity? As an Asian man, I feel a bit like a type O minority. I fit in with everybody. Um, and I want to begin to, to talk about that role, which is a bit awkward to be the model minority for a long time, it's going kind to of bother me. So that's where I'm acting out there a little bit in my older age.
0: Well, I enjoy reading your newsletter. Uh, we're, we're just about out of time. Any final thoughts on your distilled, considered wisdom, boil it all down on design on these topics that, we've been discussing? You
1: no, know, the, the best way to boil it down is realizing it's not my own wisdom. It's the wisdom of Margaret Stewart. If you haven't looked at her reading, her, her writings, her talks, she's a great TED talk. Margaret Stewart leads design at Facebook. Um, it's just the fact that when you listen to these new design leaders and thinkers in the technology space, and you can see how they're leading with the classical design mentality, with this digital computational perspective that's brand new, and our great leaders the combination, you can learn so much. So don't listen to me, listen to Margaret Stewart and people like that. Um, and I'm saluting from them every day.
0: Okay, John Maida, design partner from Kleiner Perkins. Thank you so much John for taking the time, this, this time has gone by so quickly, and I hope you come back again.
1: My pleasure. Thank you Michael.
0: And everybody. Thank you for watching. This coming Friday at our usual time, we'll be speaking with Matt Preshern, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of HCL Technologies, which has about $7 billion in revenue and 100,000 employees, and we're going to talk about some of these same issues from a digital and business transformation perspective. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to John Mehta. Thank you for, to Kleiner Perkins for all of your help in making this possible. And we'll see you soon, everybody. Bye-bye.